to the glory in our stories. On this episode, we'll be speaking with Most Elevated Deepness. Well, good morning, uh, good afternoon, and good evening. This is episode 33 of The Glory in Our Stories. I have the awesome privilege of interviewing one of my favorite local artists here in Augusta, um, Vanessa Harris, a.k.a. Most Elevated Most Elevated deepness um i was just looking at my itunes recently and i was looking at uh the die will be done yes, came sir. out a couple of years ago yeah it was and um she was selling her the ep at a, a event that we were at and i saw it and i was like oh this is nice so when i got it and i, and I listened to it i realized there were some pieces that i had the pleasure of actually hearing live and but hearing it within that studio quality, it just it put me in a sense of seclusion where I was actually able to focus on the piece itself, mm. and I enjoy that. Excellent. I enjoy that. Yes. And um, to hear that in that particular format was oh, I I loved it. Well, that's amazing. That's good. I think because I guess as artists, you know. Erica Badu said they said it the best. We sensitive about our stuff, and so <laughs> to hear that you enjoyed it, um, and how you talking sounds like you enjoyed it thoroughly. I did. That makes me feel good. It makes it makes me feel good indeed. I, yeah. Having that uh, musical element mixed in with yeah. the background, it, it creates it adds more content, and it's um, it just creates an atmosphere. Atmosphere, definitely so. Yeah. Definitely. Music I, does that. Music has that power to do that. So, yeah. And I appreciate that. It's creating something for the mind, the body, to just sit in a moment and be like, just take it in. Yeah. Um, I know it's sometimes difficult to do when you're at a live performance because sometimes there's so much going on and you can't. And you as an artist, mm-hmm. you have to cater to a large amount of people opposed to just one person sometimes. Yes. So, um, I know that being in that environment and setting that up and recording like that was probably uh, it was obviously a different experience but you can concentrate a lot more definitely you can definitely um it's it's no pressure i say it's no pressure it's, it's less pressure than standing in front of a group of people and and, and jumping in and you know butt naked you know <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know we take a shower alone it's always good because we by ourselves but when we go out and, and let folks see us yeah um you know in our nakedness then it, it can get a little you know a little nerve-wracking, but uh, definitely um, the solitude of a studio um, is something that uh, always uh, brings about just self-reflection. You can actually, you can hear the piece. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you get in front of a crowd, you get nervous and muscle memory, you know, muscle memory kicks in to where you're just saying words sometimes. Um, yeah. Not even really feeling them, but saying them because you've memorized them. And, you know, um, but when you're sitting in that studio and you can say them and you hear those you know, those vibrations, those words bounce off the walls back into your ears. You know, you begin to minister to yourself. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, definitely. I, I appreciate it myself. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> but speaking on that, do you have a do you have one piece that no matter, regardless of how often you recite it, it still hits home? Or do you have several pieces that do that to you? Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> My poetry or uh, my poems are testimonies. Each and every one. From the most holy of holiest ones to the most ratchet of ratchet of ones. <laughs> um, they are testimonies. Um, I, I, sometimes I, I joke and I tell people that um, um, I'm getting ready to tell y'all my business. So don't, don't be out in the streets telling my stuff. Um, because they are indeed testimonies. So I would say all of them, all of them do that to me. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when I recite them alone. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, poetry, and I, I'll say my poetry. Um, it does that to me um, because I look at myself almost as a conduit. Um, you know, I'm here and I'm being used as a vessel. Yeah. Um, the Most High God uses me. Um, I would even say my ancestors, you know, those that, you know, died before they could get the, the what they wanted to say out. You know, so they influenced my thought. And when the poems and the words and the phrases come through me, sometimes they just do that. They come through me like a conduit, just come through. So when I sit back and I listen to some of the words, um, 
you know, it's not like I'm being cocky or or what. I just sit back and be like, oh, oh, that's that's nice, you know, because <laughs> um, it's I'm I'm a vessel sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes it's not, you know, oh, I thought of this it's awesome wordplay. Sometimes it's just sitting there and letting those words and those influences work through me and I sit back and, and I'm in you know if you're amazed by some of the poetry I'm in just as much amazement as some of the listeners because it flows through me yeah. Um, so yeah I would say all of them do that each and every one and if yeah, I don't I've never written a poem that I don't know that I haven't thoroughly been ministered to by yeah so yeah it's uh, it's funny you said that because sometimes that does happen and i've experienced that Mm -hmm. before oh it's real and you sit back and you're like that's definitely not me (laughs) that is not me Mm -hmm. and realizing and it makes it even more appreciative when you realize where and from whom it comes from come on sir and when you know it's not you and you're like man and because if it was strictly left to us it would be garbage it would be straight garbage look (laughs) there's so much pressure when i know that i can surrender over um to a higher power um it takes the it takes the responsibility off of me. It takes the work <laughs> off of me. It takes the yeah. pressure and the stress off of me, and that is real talk. I think that was one of the greatest things that I have done or learned. Um, that I am just that. I'm a willing vessel, and that I can cast any care, any worry that I have about anything I do mm-hmm. to God, and that He'll take it because He cares for me. Man, that's the that's the best thing in the world. Some people say, oh, how do you get in front of these crowds and you spit and you do this or whatever and you don't get nervous. Or you don't. And it's just like, it's not cockiness. I heard someone, someone once say that if you don't get nervous when you're up there, you know, something's wrong or something, yeah. you know, from the most seasoned to the most, you know, to the, to the baby who's getting mm-hmm. up there. But I have to honestly say that I don't get nervous at all because I totally surrender myself. There was only a couple instances in which I was nervous, and that was because I forgot to pray or turn it over officially, you know, mm-hmm. ritualistically. I forgot to turn it over. Um, and so I kind of felt like I was within myself. Yeah. But when I turn that thing over, whew, it's, it's easy sailing. I'm just, I'm just on the ride. I'm just <laughs> on the ride at that point. So, yeah. Maya, my mom talks about that often as far as when she teaches um, – She's like CJ. That's well. CJ is the nickname my family gave me. Okay. Um, she said uh, that's it's it's not me. And mm. it's, it's an, and when you and she says something yesterday uh, that really she's never said before, uh, but I heard her say said I used to feel weird knowing that I went I prayed to God and she laughed. I prayed to God about everything. <laughs> the small things and the large things and in the back of my mind I'm like man I wish I had that dedication mm. <laughs> uh, but to hear her say that and in retrospect looking back on you know how she raised me and my sisters mm. she literally did and that's and I looked at her and I said but that's what he wants us to do mm. is to take everything to him yeah and um, but to when you when you refuse to acknowledge him and when you refuse and this is just me I know a lot of people may be listening that who are not um, have a Christian-based faith, and that's fine. But speaking from uh, Vanessa and I's personal experience, having that relationship with him, having that connection, knowing that you are being used for mm. something much greater than yourself, it makes what you do worthwhile. Oh, it does. And it makes it magnifies it in the point. It's like this is not about me. Definitely. And um, and I sense that in your work, and I highly appreciate that. And the reason being is because sitting back and realizing that. God can have this done without me. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he chose me. Come on, sir. Don't have me here crying. You know, and, it, and, it, <laughs> and, it's, and I guess that's one of the humbling experiences, which mm-hmm. we're probably getting into is, and that's what my mom reminds me to say. He chose me, you know, to be the teacher of the certain amount of students. And that used to scare her mm-hmm. because parents would come to her and say, oh, can our child be? And that, it was very overwhelming because, like, you're trusting me with your child mm-hmm. as far as not only advancing their education, but advancing their character because mm. you, I'm basically with your child the majority That's of the it. day. <laughs> um, but to actually sit back and, and, and acknowledge that, accept it, and live by it, it changes everything. Oh my goodness. Um, but speaking of the, the makings of you, uh, were you, were you born here in Augusta or? I was not born here in Augusta, no. Where were you born? I was um, born in Columbus, Mississippi. Wow. Yes. 
off in the woods. <laughs> Actually, well, you're cold. Well, back in the day, Columbus was mad too. Columbus ain't progressed much, <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah. But um, yeah, definitely. Um, I was born in Columbus and grew up um, a good portion of my life um, in the woods. Um, literally, we had a trailer mm. off on some family land in the woods, dirt road, getting stuck in the mud when it rained on the way home. Wow. You know, woods yeah. <laughs> um, of Columbus, Mississippi. Um, I mean, yeah, that first spring rain, we was outside naked running through the rain. You know, we was country. Um, that's that throwback <laughs> Mississippi country there. But, um, um, but yeah, so uh, I, I was born in Columbus, Mississippi. Um, later on, I moved um, because my dad, he, um, at that point, um, when we moved from Columbus to Georgia, mm-hmm. he uh, was... Uh, in Army Reserve, um, he was uh, he was active duty, but then he went reserve, and uh, we moved to Augusta, Georgia, for some job opportunities that he had on Fort Gordon. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, yeah, so Columbus, Mississippi, is my home. All of my family are in Columbus and Jackson. Most of my well, some of my mom and my dad's yeah. um, family, um, Jackson, Mississippi, Columbus, Mississippi, Philadelphia, Mississippi. Um, oh. That's real country, Choctaw country, uh, Choctaw Indian. Um, country out there and uh so that's that's where i'm um that's where i'm from um mississippi the sip that's where i'm from now how often do you go back do you visit? oh i actually just got back from jackson last night i got in about <laughs> three o'clock this morning um so i hit the ground running this morning um i we go back uh my family and i we have family reunions like every year mm-hmm. so um most of the time every at least every summer um, yeah. i'm in jackson um or columbus um uh, my dad's family, they're everywhere. Um, my, that's a whole nother story, um, yeah. talking about my dad and all that good stuff. He is the youngest of 21 brothers and sisters. Um, uh, he is the only child of his parents' union. So he was yeah. born and he had you know, sisters and brothers that his mom had had, and then his dad had other children as well. So when they got married, they had him. Yeah. So he's the last child and the only child that they had together. Um, but he's the he's the baby, and he's sixty. He'll be sixty seven on his birthday. He's the baby nice. of twenty one brothers and sisters. Um, so uh, so here we are. So Harris's are everywhere, and <laughs> I, I'm trying to tell you, out of twenty one, a lot can come from twenty one. Yeah. So I, I look weary at any Harris, about anybody Harris I see. I, we somewhere related down the line. I know it. I know it <laughs> in my soul. I know it when I see a Harris. <laughs> Oh, somewhere down the line, we we related, but um, <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, Columbus, Mississippi, um, Jackson, Mississippi. My mom and dad met at Jackson State University, Sunnet Boom, what a South. That's where <laughs> they met, fell in love, and all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, um, that's what I know. I go back pretty often. Yeah, so love it. What what do you what would you say helps maintain that family dynamic? Because I know for my family, mm-hmm. we have yet to have family reunion yes and we keep people brings it we uh people bring it up Mm -hmm. and maybe i guess it's the pricing or Mm -hmm. some beef they may be between i don't know but what is it that keeps you all going you know what um i would have to say that you have to start somewhere you Mm -hmm. know where where it started with my family i probably was i wasn't born yet because i was born into the tradition family reunions and this is what we do and all of that um so uh, but i would have to say um just trying to think outside of the box if i was in that situation i would think that it would have to start with one person being dedicated enough to say hey this is worth it it's worth it family you know is something that's ordained from god he created family Mm -hmm. um and so i would say one person thinking that it's worth it connecting with the one other person that says hey it's worth it you know, mm-hmm. if it's just three people, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, God said where two or three are gathered, he is there in the midst. And because he created family, he is there in the midst. So I say if you get three together and y'all enjoy and touch and agree, then God will do the rest. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So I would say just, hey, you meet up with somebody else and make it happen. Mm-hmm. And one will hear and say, oh, well, y'all had a high time. Let me go see what this is about. <laughs> and that's and that's how I believe it could, it could get started. Yeah. Um, but family is important. Family is, I mean, I I'm grateful. I'm grateful for family, and, and I do realize that um, it's a rarity. Um, mm-hmm. It's a rarity that I didn't even know was rare. Um, I grew up uh, very sheltered, <laughs> very <laughs> sheltered, um, sheltered family. Uh, four four girls, my mom and my dad, um, moving from the woods in Mississippi to the woods in Grovetown, um, 
Grovetown, uh, Georgia. Yeah. Um, and Grovetown ain't like it was now. That's what I hear. Yeah, Grovetown yeah. was woods. <laughs> That's what it was. Harlem was the big city. <laughs> wow. That's right? Saying, that's saying a lot. <laughs> yes, Harlem was the city if he was in Grovetown. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's sad. <laughs> wow, I think they got like one stoplight. Bruh. <laughs> I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> and if they have a thunderstorm when that stoplight go out, Bruh. then... Chaos. Dark. That's it. Darkness. It's the purge. I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> 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 right? It's weird because when you're driving like that back road from Augusta and you go through Harlem, mm-hmm. Harlem is a sneeze. Yes. It really is. Yeah, it is. It is. And which I started on this because I grew up in, in Thompson. Okay. So I understand like this is this is a big city mm. to us. Yeah. And I think it's the second largest in comparison to Atlanta. Yeah. And but this was the place we would come oh, yeah. on the weekends and they just had everything and it's since then it's obviously it's been growing. Definitely. And add new aspects. Uh but at what point have you always been a vocalist, uh, writer? No, or? I have not. When did you get into that? Bruh, I'm trying to tell you. Look, I didn't start singing. I liked to sing when I was little. Um, I just hummed to myself and kind of mm-hmm. kept to myself. And, I, you know, I would admire different vocal um, vocalists and stuff. But I never sang out loud so anybody could really hear me. Yeah. Um, nobody knew I could sing, like, at all. I started, like, maybe singing... When I think my mom heard me, and she was like, oh, you got a little voice on. You can do a little something. So she made me join the choir. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Parents back in the day used to make their children do things. <laughs> yeah. You know, it seems like we have so many opinions nowadays. Children have so many opinions. And I don't feel like, I no. It wasn't about <laughs> what you felt like. This is, no, I see something in you, yeah. and I'm going to cultivate it. You have no choice because you're a child. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And I'm grateful for that because at the time, I was a child. And I was like, I don't want to join no choirs, lame. Ugh. They always singing like throwback songs and stuff. And don't nobody want to be up there standing up with them hot robes on. And, and so <laughs> she made me. And I'm grateful to that because because singing those songs, singing uh, gospel music and singing music that edified God, I didn't realize that as I was singing those words that I was singing scripture, and like any person that has a true relationship with Christ knows that there is power in those words. Mm-hmm. And when you feed those words to your spirit, that's you feeding your true self. Yeah. And you can really become who you are if you strengthen that part of you. And so through that, through singing those songs, I began to strengthen my spirit, man, without me even knowing it. I was speaking life into myself and didn't even realize it, realize it, realizing it um, that that's what I was doing. Um, so with every song and every rehearsal and every practice, um, I would be speaking life into myself and in in bringing life to yourself, it, it gives you confidence. Mm-hmm. And so I began to be confident in the things that I could do. You know, so I said, hey, I have a voice. You know, and because the spirit of God was growing in me and cultivated in me, I was like, I can be confident about this. So I began to sing louder. Yeah. Um, and so when you sing louder, folks can hear, hey, you got a little something. So they begin to work on those things and help you cultivate those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say when I was about 12 years old is when I really started, like, singing, like, kind of in the church and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm grateful that I grew up with different humbling experiences uh, where I would hear somebody that sounded I thought better than me or whatever and I never was one to just flaunt what I had like oh I can sing oh you do hear that note honey that was nice <laughs> I was never one of those people and I'm grateful because I see people like that and I be like oh <laughs> sat down you know it's just I don't know it's something about being modest and humble about your gift and not having to showboat you know if, if it's a gift that came from God it's truly a gift you know, you just like I said, you're you're being used as a tool. So mm-hmm. be humble in that thing, you know. Yeah. But um, I'm grateful for humbling experiences and hearing people that sounded better and and knowing and you know and, and using that not to feel bad on myself or thinking that I was you know lesser than, but saying hey, there's still work that needs to be done. Let me cultivate this thing a little bit more. Um, from there, I got in um a group in Augusta, Creative Impressions. I'm not sure if anybody's familiar with that. If you're not, you should be. <laughs> uh, Creative Impressions is an awesome group that was started by Miss Evelyn Ellis. Um, uh, she was also a middle school teacher of mine um, mm-hmm. at Morgan Road Middle School, um, and there I met like the likes of Trey McLaughlin and mm-hmm. and uh, uh, 
Shanita, she's now Shanita Newton, I believe, and I met uh, wonderful people like Tyrus Antoine Eves and um, all these awesome singers when I was a child and who have grown up and done all kinds of amazing things um, in the world. Hugh Butler, we were in the Creative Impressions together as children. Oh, um, all of these different people I was able to, you know, work with and be cultivated um, in as far as singing. Yeah. Um, uh, and then even then, like I said, I always was one that. I like to sing, but I love music. I love to hear the sounds. I love to hear the uh, soprano alto tenor, the alto twos, the soprano one. You know, all these things mm -hmm. come together. I love that aspect. I didn't really, I didn't want to have a lead. I just wanted to hear those sounds come together and make just beautiful harmony. Um, so, like I said, I've never been one of the ones that's like, oh, give me a solo. Let me lead this song. You know, I never <laughs> was one of those. Um, but uh, as I begin to get older, um, how the poetry came about um, was I had an awesome, you know, teacher. I think that's how it always starts. You have an awesome yeah. teacher that influences you or whatever. And I uh, had one teacher, her name was Connie Stokes. Um, she taught at Glen Hills High School. Mm -hmm. And uh, she would all, her favorite word was zero. <laughs> zero. <laughs> she would give you an assignment, 20 questions. You did 19, baby, that's a zero. Wow. <laughs> I gave you 20. You yeah. did 19. That means that you did not, you did not do the assignment. The assignment mm -hmm. was 20. So her favorite word was zero. She looked at that paper and said, <laughs> Oh, I see you missed one. Zero. <laughs> so we were always, we just walked down the hall to look at her. She just, zero. We were like, we didn't even do nothing, Miss Stokes. What you talking about? But, um, but she influenced me greatly. Um, she used to give us assignments with our, you know, vocabulary words and things of that nature. And, and um, she would have us write poems and things like that. And, and I started putting these words together. And I was like, oh, oh, this thing nice. This is pretty good. Mm -hmm. And then I started to watch, um, uh, like I said, we were very sheltered growing up. We didn't watch like cable and like all kinds of crazy stuff. So we watched like GPTV. So I would see the, um, I saw a little something on there and they had like kids in the library like doing this thing and it was poetry, but it was like, it was lit. I was like, this joke is lit. This is like, what's up? Like, yeah. what's really going on? And I was like, I think I can do that. And I began to do it. I began to write more of uh, expressive poetry, more performance style poetry. Um, yeah, and, and that's where that started. That was right when I was about 17 years old. So mm -hmm. uh, I began to really write when I was uh, 17 years old. Yeah. When did, and when did you enter the uh, military? Um, I entered the military when I was, let's see, 17, 18. I was at that, I was 18 wow. when I joined the military and I turned 19 that year. Yep. I was 18 when I joined the military, yes. And how long were you in the? Were you active? Well, was I active in the mm -hmm. military? Oh well, active duty. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say I was active duty for, um, officially active duty, uh, about eleven years. Oh, okay. Eleven years active duty in the military. Um, uh, as far as actively being able to do different things and functioning, all of that, I would say a good six years. Okay. Six years. Um, I was injured, of course, in in Iraq, and that mm -hmm. kind of you know, slowed me down to a certain extent. And uh, I was going through a long process of uh, medically retiring out of the military. Yeah. So I was still very much what they consider active duty because I hadn't retired yet. But um, yeah, so that that's that little, people always say, how long did you serve? I said, well, I served for officially or unofficially. So yeah, that's their whole, <laughs> their whole story. Anybody who's gone through the process understands. But yeah, definitely. So how was that, that experience for you? Because I'm pretty certain that it, that was a, a sharp pivot in oh, your life. Oh, yes. It definitely was. Um, uh, I had so many dreams, so many aspirations and things, um, but I really never knew what my true calling was. I knew that I loved to sing. I knew that I, you know, I did pretty well with this poetry, that it kind of motivated people and it inspired people, I guess. You know, it made people happy, you know, when I would say what I said. Um but I was like, you know, look, I got to, like, be an adult. I got to be grown. I got to make money some kind of way. So when I graduated high school, I got a scholarship um, to Georgia Military College in Millersville, Georgia. I was a cadet, you know, preparing to be a cadet, you know, be an officer mm -hmm. in the Army and all of that. Um, so that's what I was on. That's, that's the track I was on. Um, in, that, in that whole situation, that whole scenario, um, I joined the military. And after I got a basic training, went to school. That was what I was supposed to do. Go to school, um, go through the um, officer training programs, all of that. And uh, then transition into, you know, being an officer and all of that. Um, but 
because I was a uh, I was in the National Guard and at that time they didn't have that whole stipulation as far as if you're in school you don't have to get deployed with your unit and all of that stuff but um, back then if your unit was going to Iraq or being deployed or whatever then you had to leave school and be deployed so oh, wow. um, yeah so I had to leave school and be deployed with my unit um, and I was a welder in the military mm-hmm. <laughs> a welder by trade um, in the army and I left and went to Iraq um, uh, to do serve my country and to do my job And uh, I did that, you know, in very long story short, um, went to Iraq, first 24 hours in country. I was, um, we um, went on, we were under attack. Um, We were in Kuwait, of course, for a couple of weeks, getting our, you know, um, assignments. Um, Then we shipped out, well, we flew out to um, camp. At that point, it was Camp, no, it was Camp Adder, no, Camp Stryker, Camp Stryker in Baghdad. Um, and uh, we were supposed to be setting up camp in Camp Striker. Um, the first day in country, we got there in the middle of the night, woke up in the morning. Um, they said, hey, go to the PX, go get some things you need, come back, you know, and we'll get ready to start building this, this camp from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Uh, went out to Camp Liberty, which is also in Baghdad. Um, went there, got a, we went and, you know, believe it or not, there's Burt King. You know, there's all <laughs> kinds of little things, you know, they're like, you know, little satellite, little setup shops and stuff. But, you know, nothing fancy like how you see here, but definitely little huts, you yeah. know. Um, and I went there, got me a chicken sandwich, an orange juice, went inside, bought a CD, went inside the PX, um, their post exchange, their little store. It's like a little mall. Bought um, a CD by an artist named Salt, and she's actually from Georgia. Mm. Um, it's a jazz CD. Bought some desert goggles um, for a homeboy of mine. He had lost his out in the desert. And I was like, well, let me get him some more sand goggles because, I mean, really, when you're over there, sand is constantly in your face. It's like yeah. it's like a way of life. You When the wind blows, it carries sand with it. When the wind ain't blowing, it's still sand in it. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, how he going to make it over here without these goggles? I don't know. So let me hook my homie up. So I went over there and got some goggles. I had a snicker bar and some Birkin. Uh, went there with some battle buddies. I was the only um, woman, only female in my um, group um, because not too many women welders. Um, yeah. So it was kind of hard for me to find what they call a battle buddy over there. Um, went to the, um, like I said, after I got done doing what I was doing, I sat down under a gazebo and waited for my other battle buddies to come back. And um, so I had my weapon. Um, we didn't have any prote- any of the protective gear on because we were in what they call the green zone, the protected area, where you didn't need any of that, um, yeah. supposedly. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I was just there with my M16, my weapon, and um, just sitting there eating my chicken salad, my orange juice, chilling, um, excited about the CD, the music I had, you know, excited about going back to the camp, getting in my little air-conditioned tent and listening to it. Um, <laughs> all of a sudden, I was sitting there and someone yelled, get down. And I was like... Bruh, you ain't got to say it but one time. I don't know what's going on, but let me get my weapon. So I grabbed my weapon and uh, jumped down into the prone position um, and uh, under that gazebo. And before I hit the ground with my weapon, all I could feel was this uncontrollable force. And if you can imagine, like, you know, you see those action movies where, you know, something explodes and people flying in the air and it's just like, you know... All I could feel before I hit the ground was this unbelievable force, uncontrollable force. You could not fight it. As much as you wanted to, you know, control it or, like, get, get your bearings, you could not. It overtook you. And my hands went back, and I remember almost something like a, how you would – it almost felt like a, how you would imagine, like, if a spaceship was coming down – to the ground and it was you know kind of like a vibratory kind of feel or sound yeah. like <laughs> kind of felt like that or like a helicopter perhaps maybe just something to that extent um and i can remember just kind of like in slow motion it really was and i kind of closed my eyes back and my hands were kind of flared back and i couldn't you know bring them to my chest you know as hard as i tried but i stopped and i like questioned and i was like god I was kind of mad. I was legit mad, though. I'm like, God, though. I was like, God, for real? Is this it? I literally, in my mind, said that. And I was kind of like, you know, in gangster mode. Like, at that point, like, oh, yeah, for real, God? Is this it? <laughs> real talk. And uh, next thing I knew, um, I was being, someone had me under my arms and was dragging me away from what they call the kill zone, basically where, you know, the activity went or wherever, you know, the bomb hit or whatever. What happened was there were two propelled missiles, mortar 
uh, rounds that were shot. Um, and a lot of times the enemy will be outside of the camp or wherever they are, and they don't know what they aiming at. They just hoping they hit something, and that wow. day they hit stuff. Cause you hear bombs and stuff all the time. You hear boom, boom. You just hear them. You yeah. get almost like you get complacent, but you get used to it. Um, because they rarely hit anything. You know, they aim for stuff, but they don't. They're not that equipped. Like you know, like we are. Just real talk. Yeah. And uh, so, um, I heard the um, uh, well, the, it was two bombs that fell about ten to fifteen feet from where I was sitting. Um. And this is what I found out after the fact. But someone was dragging me away from the kill zone. And they dragged me to, like, this little area where there were a couple of other injured soldiers. Uh, actually, a couple of my battle buddies were injured. And um, the dude was telling me, he was like, look, everything's going to be okay. And I was like, even in my razzled, you know, state, I was like, bruh. <laughs> look, I went to basic training, too. I know the first thing that you're supposed to do to prevent shock to the casualty, you are supposed to reassure them that everything is okay. Like, literally half of my head could be gone right now. But yeah. it's your job to tell me that I'm going to be okay so that I won't die from shock or whatever the case may be. Listening to this was like watching a, an intense scene in a, in a war film. And you're saying to yourself, there's no way that probably the average person can come out of this alive. But during this time, God specifically said no. And most elevated deepness acknowledges that. Very strong and powerful illustration of her experience um, overseas. And for her to walk away from that, it's astounding to me. So, uh, yeah, keep listening in to episode 33 of The Glory in Our Stories featuring the awesome, most elevated deepness. So I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I don't want to say I turned into no punk. I mean, I wasn't running around and acting crazy, but I, like, was crying. <laughs> I was like, man, we're just over here trying to help them. <laughs> Why are they so mean? <laughs> <laughs> I was tripping out and I guess when you're in that state of shock you talk a lot I learned that you talk a lot because you're trying to hold on to what you have you're trying to grasp reality you're trying to hold on to this earth you're mm -hmm. trying to hold on to just what you have left of life so you're talking you're just saying random stuff just trying to hold of you know take a hold of what's here reality and I did a lot of that I was just talking off the wall <laughs> and um, long story short they um, uh, what, what happened was I, I started to feel something drip from my... I don't wanna, this is a long story. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> no, it's cool. The, uh, I felt something dripping from my nose and something dripping from my like ear area. And I touched my hand and I, uh, I touched my hand to my neck and my shoulder. And I lifted my hand up, looked at it, and it was like full of blood. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> the dude was like, you going to be okay. You going to be okay. And, and I... um. I calmed down and I was just in a daze. I was in a daze. They, they put us on a truck, took us to a place in Baghdad called the Green Zone Hospital. Um, from there, they found that there was shrapnel lodged in my skull. Um, and I had a skull, a closed skull fracture, and pretty much that shrapnel was lodged in my skull. And they didn't know that if they took it out, would it cause, you know, any kind of pressure or swelling or whatever. All At that point, all they could do was take it out and monitor yeah and so they did they took the shrapnel out and i still have that piece of shrapnel i have to figure out where it is um but they took it out and uh glory be to god i am fine i am here i mean it, it definitely took a while um to get back to where i am now um uh, therapy and things of that nature but um everything worked out for um uh, for my good and god's glory um during that time i would say that i truly found that um i have a testimony in it all I know what my calling is in life now. Um, because of that head injury, uh, at the very beginning, I was staying at, um, I went from the Green Zone Hospital to Longstill, Germany. From Longstill, Germany, I went to Walter Reed Army Medical Hospital in D.C. From D.C., I went to Wynn Army Medical Hospital in Fort Stewart, Georgia. Mm -hmm. I was everywhere um, just for therapy and getting, um, getting back right. But there was a time that I could not remember hardly anything. 
I could not remember anything. But every poem that I had ever written up to that point, I remember each and every one. And I get a little emotional when I tell this story. But to me, that was just like a personal kiss from God, letting me know that whatever I gave you, can't nobody take it away. And it assured me that, you know what? This, what I gave you, is not just for you. It's for other people. This is your gift. This Mm -hmm. is your calling. And so I... I find that that's like just one of the most awesome things in life. So many people live this life not knowing what it is they're supposed to do, uh, what their calling is. But I know, I know for a fact what my calling is. And um, I think that that's just a beautiful thing. I know that if I keep my eyes on the prize or keep myself focused as far as to what steps God, what steps God wants me to take, then I will make it to my there. I know I will, and yeah. I know that poetry is my vehicle to my there. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm grateful. Even through it all, I'm grateful. Yeah. Um, Long story. I'm so sorry. No, no, <laughs> no. It's fine. That's uh, it's pretty cool because, um, man, um, this is kind of a, a nerd moment, but <laughs> um, that's how Iron Man became who he was. Really? Stop. Tell, tell me about it. Because I'm, I'm not one of those people. Maybe, well, based off the film adaptation he went out he was selling weaponry because uh, sparks and uh, tony stark stark's industry they mm-hmm. sell weaponry yeah. so he went out there he was testing it and he was um out there in the desert something went off shrapnel hit him he was he looked around and his chest was bleeding so a guy took him in and they were actually holding that guy hostage to have him build weaponry for this tyrant that was over there they heard about Tony Starks, and they were like, oh, you uh, specialize in weaponry. So we need you to build such and such. If you don't, we're going to kill this guy that we've been holding hostage and might even kill you. But Tony Starks was alive because the guy that was in there built a magnet that was keeping shrapnel from touching his heart. Because if the magnet had turned off, it would hit his heart and he would die. So that's the basis of how he created his suit it's just basically this large giant magnet to keep the shrapnel from his heart but within, in the process of doing that he created all of these suits uh, powered off of uh, I forgot the name of Stark Reactor that's what it's called but all of these suits are powered off of that and it's an extension of his experience mm-hmm. and for a while in the films when it gets to the third film, he actually has it removed. They actually go in there. That's been a fear of his. If they remove that shrapnel, if he's he had the fear that he was going to end up dying. Mm. But they removed it, and he ended up turning out well. But he couldn't leave the suits alone. Yeah. So he kept making them, and he kept Come making on. them. So it became a part of who he is, mm-hmm. and he's known as as Iron Man. That's Come who he on. is. So Come it's on. funny you said that because. <laughs> Even though you had it removed, it didn't kill you, mm-hmm. but it just reminded you of I have more to do. Mm. I have more to build. Come on. So let me be a Marvel um, <laughs> superhero, <laughs> superhero around <laughs> <laughs> But that was I was like, yo, that's what's up, oh, and um, and and that is so true about what what he gives you. Nothing, nothing man can do. Nothing man could yeah. create can take that away from you. Wow, well, yeah, yeah. And that's that. Like you said, that is a, indeed a, a testimony. Yeah, man. And if you, if it wasn't, man, if he, if it was your time to go, you wouldn't have had your son. Come on. And if it was your time to go, you wouldn't be where you are now. You've influenced a lot of people here in Augusta, not mm-hmm. just artists, but spoken word artists. People that are coming into the scene, they need people to look to and say, hey, man, this is what I want to do. But I've learned that whenever you find something that you do want to do, it's always good to find someone that's where you want to be. And it gives you a destination. True. Uh, You, Sleepy Eyes, and everyone else, y'all providing opportunities for people to say, hey, this is where I want to be, but this is where I am. Can you Mm -hmm. help me get there? And that's what y'all are doing Mm -hmm. for writers and artists in general. Um, because you're taking people under your wing and you're showing by doing, not just telling. Now, you're not just saying do as I say, but actually do as I do. Or, and if you need an example, but eventually you'll grow into your own. We're True not, indeed. And that's know. the thing. I think that um, the help and the aid comes. I mean, so many people, um, it's very strange. So many people reach out and they um, want to be cultivated. Um, 
which is great. I think it's amazing. I think it's, uh, and you should reach out to those um, who are where you aspire to be. Not saying that, you know, where they are is just the, the, the you know, the, the limit. That's, you know, you can't go any higher than that. Yeah. But definitely they have reached a certain level in what they do that you that you admire and want to reach so that you can go to your there or wherever. Mm-hmm. Um, so many people reach out and they think that when they reach out that you should uh, take them under your wing. They should be at your house every night. You know, they should, you know, you should be going out for the weekend for poetry excursions in the mountains and, you know, and you should be teaching them, you know, lessons. And the thing is this, as a poet and as, um, as a poet and as someone, um, like I said, who, who was a creative, um, what I did to help cultivate what it is I love to do, I looked up to those people. You know, I looked up to the ones that were where I wanted to be. And I looked and I walked and I and I looked at and I observed their walk. Mm-hmm. And that was what taught me. I observed. And when I was able to get in something or they were able to make an exchange, then I was grateful for that. But I I looked at their walk. I you know, I studied their walk. What works for them? You know, not saying that whatever works for them is gonna work for me, but what yeah. works for them? What helps them to I see a connection that they have with the people. What causes that connection? And I went and I discovered those things on my own. Yeah. And I, uh, that's my way, and I ain't saying that's everybody's way, but I tell you that that's a way that helped cultivate me into who I am. There were so many people that I looked up to, and I studied. Um, I studied uh, what they uh, did and how they did in crowd reaction and what caused that and what was going on. Lyric Cantrell, she was a poet here. She was stationed. She was a soldier stationed here on Fort Gordon. Um, I looked up to her because I would see the crowd reaction and I would see people literally like almost be in tears. And I say, she is touching them. What's going on here? Mm-hmm. If I do this, I want to be able to reach people, not just people pat me on the back and say, oh, you use a lot of deep words. You know, I want people to be transformed and changed. And I see that she's doing that through her words. Mm-hmm. What is she doing? You know, I maybe exchanged with her a couple of times. Um, only later on did I let her know that she truly impacted my, 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 my walk as far as my poetry and all of that. But I monitor her mm-hmm. and I noticed that she was a storyteller. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know, and I study in the word that God said that people are redeemed by your testimony. And I said, you know what? That's what she's doing. I know she's trying to, but she's redeeming people by her testimony. So you know what? That's what I'm going to see if I can do. Because it's all about transformation. Yeah. It's all about people becoming better versions of themselves. And if my testimony can help people to do that, then that's what I'm going to do. And that's what I did. She helped me out in a thousand ways and never, ever had deep, intimate conversations with me. And one thing that I get sometimes discouraged by is sometimes I feel as if um, some, uh, some poets or whoever in the community may want more of me than I can give. Yeah. Um, and I'm here to give. What I do is I stay before God's face so that I can present to this community quality words, quality Entertainment, if you want to call it, quality poetry, and by me doing that, I mandate. You know, I, I, I um, what's the word? I implore. I, you know, would hope that people would see that, study that, mm-hmm. you know, and get what they need from it to catapult them to where they need to be. Yeah. And I think that's where it's that's what it's going to have to take. So many people are feeling hurting. And, uh, and and all of that jazz. It, 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 hurt, it hurts me because I, it's not my desire to hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, sometimes I feel as if um, folks want sometimes more than, than I can offer. And I think sometimes people are not so much attracted to me, but attracted to the gift. Yeah. Um, and who isn't attracted to gifts, you know? Mm-hmm. That's what Christmas is, Christmas is all about, you know? <laughs> not all about literally, but people yeah. are super excited about the gifts. And um, and so that that's something awesome, but... Um, I got a whole life out here in these streets. I got a whole child out in these streets. I got all kinds of responsibility in these streets. Responsibility that the world doesn't even know. Stuff that I'm not going to even say on this podcast. Um, And life is real. And um, I hope to aid everybody by keeping my eye towards my help. Becoming the best me that I can be. So that people can see that, witness that, and learn from that. So, yeah. I don't know if that answered the question, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to ask you... uh, I think one more question, and then I'm going to ask you one more at the end sure. to tie it together. How do you feel about the uh, the creative scene here in Augusta as far as poetry in general? Poetry and where it's in headed? general, where it's headed. Um, 
I'm I'm an optimist. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I'm never one to be negative um, about most anything. Um, I am excited about where poetry is going in the CSRA and in, in the city. Um, so many talented artists are out here doing their thing and putting their hands to the plow and uh, glorifying glorifying Augusta with what they do because they're putting in work. Yeah. Um, someone once someone said recently, um, someone said recently that you know, I think it was a whole unity talk situation going on <laughs> around in Augusta. You know, I want people unify, I want people work together and this that, and the third. Um, and I think that uh, the unity um, the u- unity is in the success in, is in the success of each individual person. I would say that if I'm out here most elevated deepness doing my thing and I'm succeeding and people are recognizing me nationally and internationally for what I do, then I shine a light on Augusta, Georgia. Yeah. I shine a light on Augusta, Georgia. So that's most elevated deepness over here shining her light. And let's say uh, Mia Bonner, Mia Bonner Forbes, I, for, for, I think that's her last name. Um, Mia, M-I-A. Let's say she's out here in these streets. She's doing her thing. She's becoming successful. People are noticing her internationally and nationally. And so she's shining a light. So that's one light shining in Augusta. Another light over here with me shining in Augusta. Several other artists, passionate, Shoshana Wesby, you know, shining their light, doing their thing. So the thing is, those lights shine together. And it all glorifies Augusta. And that's where the unifying factor is. That's the unity. That's all of us being our best is what's going to unify the city and what's going to glorify the city. Um, I am happy about where the city is going. I think that we're learning that. I think yeah. that we are grasping that. I think that um, we're not, we're at that point, I think now where we're not trying to go and sing Kumbaya and hold hands and I'm at your event every time you you doing something. I'm at your event every time. We like, look, let me appreciate you. Let me, you know, send some shots out. Let me let somebody know that, hey, this is an awesome person over here doing this to promote you, help you to get it where you need, need to get. And we're at that point to where we're doing awesome things and glorifying the city of Augusta as a whole and making the city look amazing. I think that we're at that point where we realize that yeah. that's what it's going to take. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm grateful for that. With that, Augusta is going to Augusta is going far. Um, open mics are becoming prevalent. Um, poetry programs. I mean, you hear about poetry more than you hear about, um, um, you know, when you hear open mic. Back in the day, open mic was you know singers, songwriters, guitars, piano. Open mic, literally, you don't even think about singers or po- <laughs> all you think about you hear open mic you poetry yeah that's all literally you think of poetry when you hear open mic and that's something that beco- that's becoming prevalent here in augusta and that makes me so proud yeah um makes me so happy and it's funny because i didn't even realize that i was i didn't i don't want to sound cocky or anything but i didn't realize um that i was somewhat of a staple um somewhat mm. of of someone to look to when it came to poetry in the city just recently literally recently that i realized that i had that epiphany like wow vanessa people really look up to you yeah um wow vanessa you, you need to be very careful about the steps that you're making because people are looking to you yeah. um I, just recently <laughs> did i really realize that um and uh i'm grateful i'm grateful and uh it is definitely a responsibility um and uh, I'm just trying to push and, and, and do what I do and do it well and do it to the glory of God and, and not lose myself, <laughs> not lose myself <laughs> in the process. So you how know? is it? Oh, I guess I asked this. I'm just curious about this. Sure. I, I make this interjection. Uh, one of your favorite pieces, and I tell you this all the time, sure. is the one you did about your, your mom praying. Yes. Um, every time you perform that, it's very hard for my eyes to stay dry mm. because I know I know what that looks like. Mm. And mom, she, it's amazing how when you're the youngest you don't expect the parents don't expect you to pay attention to everything mm-hmm. but it's stuff like that that I noticed and yeah. every morning she's done that for as long as I've been alive every single morning mm-hmm. and um, that's her uh, her prayer closet was the far left corner of the couch where mm-hmm. the, where the uh, lamp was that's where she sat well every morning with her her um what is that? It wasn't a bathrobe. It was it was flower. It's Komodo. 
know what that's, you're talking about. But she, you know, moms, all, they, all yeah. they, they have that one bath. Yeah. Them dusters. Yeah, that, she had on the duster. That one bathrobe that they they, they put on, and yeah. if they put it on, it means not going anywhere. That's it. So. <laughs> I'm gonna buy. I told my grandmama just this past week. I'm gonna buy me some dusters because I'm a grown woman, and every grown woman need a duster. William need to know his mama got some dusters. So, but but she put it on, and she's she's small. So when she curls up, she takes up like one one pillow. Yes. But she would have her Bible open, and she would get down, and then she would pray, and mm-hmm. that's how she began her day. And she didn't understand how that looked to me because mm-hmm. I would pass her, and you know when you're young. Your mom, your parents take care of everything. So the first moment you see is like, Mama, Mama, can you help me? Mm-hmm. But it, as I got older, I was like, Oh, I can't bother her now. I need to attend mm-hmm. to what I need to. So I started understanding what that meant. Yes. So in relation to that, because my mom has been the pivotal point in my life because mm-hmm. she's all I had, how is that playing out with you and, and your son? Do you, mm. how's, how does that responsibility feel <sighs> on your part? Man, it beat me up. It beat me up initially, um, you know, um, doing um, things the untraditional way as mm-hmm. far as becoming a single parent, you know, um, having a child with a kind of weird lock and all of that. Um, it was something that scared me to no end. Mm-hmm. Um, all I knew was a mommy and a daddy growing up raising us girls. I didn't understand the dynamic of one parent doing it. Yeah. Um, I didn't understand how my child would get the best or get the standard you know, without having both mommy and daddy present um, or being married for that extent. His dad was very present. Um, I don't want to discredit him at all. Um, he was very present, but we weren't married. Yeah. Um, so I said, oh, God, what am I going to do? I'm not married. And, you know, what is my son? You know, he's not going to see mommy and daddy waking up together in the morning and praying and things of that nature. And, you know, he's not going to have, I want to give him, you know, that's, what, that's the, your hope is that you give him more than what you had. growing up and I can't even give him what I had you know and so I felt like I was lacking and um I would down myself a lot and I would feel some type of way because I'm a single parent I'm a statistic you know um what are the odds that my son is going to be you know who he needs to be you know and I'm just tripping off the fact that I wasn't married you know but I had a a, a baby's dad or you know uh you know um William's dad who was very present um, um in his life and uh then uh William's father passed away mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said God is this your way of being funny <laughs> because I was complaining about us not being married Yeah. now he's no longer here now my son no longer has someone to call daddy mm-hmm. you know wow um, so I worried so much and worried so much and I was like I'm not giving my son what I had you know, I felt as if he was going to live his life, his life lacking. But then I knew the God that I served, and I was like, God, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that. But one day God showed me um, more, than, um, uh, more than him telling me his word. He showed me that my son would not lack, that my son would get everything that I had and more and better. Yeah. Um, I was uh, doing the many things that I do as Vanessa. AKA most elevated deepness as all my alter egos. I was doing all these different things in the city. <laughs> And I had to drop my son off at my mom and dad's. And uh, my mom, uh, I, had, I think I've mentioned this, my mom doesn't walk. My mom hasn't walked ever since I was five years old. She took me to my open house for kindergarten, and that was the last time she walked. Oh, wow. um, so I took my son to my mom's house, and she's in her hospital bed or her, you know, her bed. Um, she can't walk, but she does a lot. She's everywhere. She does all kinds of things. Her and my dad, they get on my nerves. They're so active in the community <laughs> and whatnot. Um, have to plug my dad in. He's running for office. I'll talk a little bit about that. Nice. But uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> but um, uh, I dropped him off with my mom and my dad, and I forgot something. So I, I'd already dropped him off. I said, oh, goodness, I forgot. I forgot what I forgot. But I came back for it, and when I came through the door, what did I hear was my mom speaking in tongues, <laughs> praying in the room, and my son was in there, mm-hmm. and he was praying and speaking in tongues right next to her (laughs) and I just at that spot before I even hit her room I just did like an about face rent into the den and just began to weep and just began to cry Mm -hmm. 
because all the while I was like worried about this whole dynamic of mother and dad and this that and my son lacking and this that and the third and I thought about what really cultivated me what really shaped and molded me as a child <laughs> was the fact that my mom was a woman of prayer and yeah. that that's who what made me truly the person that I am today is hearing that and being around that and that sense of spirituality and him seeing that prayer is important and him getting that every day I was dropping him off I wasn't thinking I wasn't putting it together that he was getting the same things that I was getting yeah. and then it helped me to see that stop to stop complaining about what he doesn't have and do what you know to do your mama was a woman of prayer. She didn't go off away and pray. She prayed out in the open. Sometimes the neighbors would hear and knock on the door and wonder if everything was okay because my mama was in there loud. <laughs> Pray. He's getting what he needs. And now it's your job to stop worrying. Totally cast your care to me because I care for you and begin to give him what you had. Yeah. And that is a sense of spirituality. That is prayer. That is love. That's conversation, cultivation. He had all those things from an awesome mother and a dad. Mm -hmm. But more so, dad was out working, working, working. But he got that from his mama. You got that from your mama. So give that to him. And so it, it straightened me up. It straightened <laughs> me up. God straightened me up. And uh, from there on out, I know that my son will not lack. There will be men and people in his life that will help to cultivate him on how to be a man. I can only show him how to treat women and, and things of that yeah. nature. But um, there will be people that God will place in his life, and I don't doubt that. Um, yeah. But it's my job to give him everything that he needs that I can do, and I can do a lot. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, uh, I realized that about my mom. She gave me exactly what I needed, and up until a certain point, she, she knew that uh and that's one thing as a parent when you get to the point like i know this because she always said what's it when you have your child mm -hmm. when you have your child um she said but there gets to a point where you just like god you're gonna have to take care mm -hmm. of because like there's so much i can do because there's a cutoff point and you like let me you just do what you gotta do yeah. and i'll uh, take him for what he is but i know he's gonna be all right because of i know what his foundation oh, yes. is that so uh, is everything. but um, I'm personally as a man, as a fellow young man who grew up with just his mom and seeing that it um, it offers more than, you know, mm. and because one day you're going to be sitting somewhere and y'all going to be laughing. Mm. He's going to be a man. He's going to be talking about somebody he's dating <laughs> and he's going to be able to go back, you know, in retrospect, and be like, mom, you remember when you did this, and mm. did that. This is what it's doing for me now mm. and stuff like that. So. And, it, and even now, as an adult, we we laugh more now, but she still tells me about the, the heartaches and things that she went through. And sometimes I'm like, you can laugh about that? But that's just how far advanced she's mm. gotten and how come in life, CJ's gotten to the point that I can't help it mm. because I've come too far. And it's in thinking back on it, it's like it's, it's silly. Mm -hmm. uh, but having that dynamic, it's it's you already plant, uh, planted roots Mm -hmm. So for the rest of his life, you just get to see it, it mm. blossom, and I, I know it's. Uh, oh, I appreciate that. No problem. Yeah, and it's it is. You're gonna, you I, you're gonna enjoy it. Mm. And you're gonna enjoy it. Um, but I guess this would be my my last question. Sure. And you probably already touched base on it, but I sure. I try to decided to make this a tradition, asking everybody that I interview, if you could sum it up, maybe in a phrase or a couple of words, what would you say is. Uh, the glory in your story what is the glory in my story <laughs> um, and I did touch mm -hmm. on it um, earlier uh, truly I would say the glory in my story hmm, is knowing um, is knowing what my calling is in life um, knowing what my calling is in life so many people um, go their whole life, go their whole life without knowing, you know, what it is that I was here for, you know, what is my truly true calling in life. Um, and I'm just grateful uh, that God revealed that to me at such an early age. Um, I look at it as a great privilege. I look at it as a great honor. Uh, and I look at it also as a great responsibility because there's no excuse for me. Yeah. There's no excuse for me. He has let it 
be known crystal clear what it is that I'm to do. So it is my responsibility to stay the course, to be uh, uh, listening, to it's my job to be guided, to 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 be in be in a position where he can use me the way that he wants to use me so that I can go to where I need to go. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Um, I don't have an excuse. And uh, so it's pressure, <laughs> but at the same time, it's a peace yeah. uh, at the same time. Um, I know, uh, I think I was telling you before we started today, I know, um, I know how, what tool, what, what tool, and that tool is music, uh, singing, poetry. That's my tool that's going to get me to my there. Yeah. Uh, so all of the in-between, um, I can't get too discouraged about it. I can't get too discouraged about the different things, the ups, downs, this, and the third, um, because I know the vehicle, mm-hmm. and I know that it's going to take me. If I keep my eyes stayed on him, yeah. uh, it's going to take me to where I need to be, and it's not just going to be for my good. Um, it's going to be for for the world. It's mm-hmm. going to impact the world. Um, but yeah, that's the glory of my story. Just knowing um, what my true calling is in life um, and knowing that it has something to do with blessing other folks. Um, yeah. yeah. Real talk. <laughs> <laughs> Being in a position of serving. Uh, that's... Uh, and a lot of people think that you have to be in a certain position to serve, mm-hmm. but just being yourself, you're serving to others by committing to the calling that you were created to fulfill. True indeed. And that in itself is being True indeed. a servant. And I don't want to be up here sounding like I'm just so righteous. No, so no. Righteous. The most <laughs> elevated is, I, I be ratchet in these streets sometimes, bruh. I be ratchet in these streets. <laughs> but I know, I know uh, at the beginning and at the end of the day, where my help comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talk about a lot of stuff. And I talk about the universe. Um, and I talk about the most high. Um, and I talk about God. Um, but my assurance and uh, my livelihood and my peace of mind and my altogether just peace of being is all kinds of wrapped up in my relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, uh, it was a song uh, by C.C. Winans. And it was called Alabaster Box. And it was one part of the song that she sings. And she said, you weren't there the night he found me. You didn't feel what I felt when he wrapped his arms around me. And I said, you know what? So many people talk about so many things. And I don't shake nobody for, I don't, you know, get on nobody for how they believe and what it takes. Look, if that's what it takes for you, then, baby, I'm glad you found it. Do that. But I know what works for me. Mm -hmm. You weren't there. Don't tell me. Don't come to me. Talking about this, then the third, because I'm not going to check you on you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but you were not there the night he found me. You did not feel what I felt when he wrapped his arms around me. Mm-hmm. So it's just like my, my life, my life's work is wrapped up in my relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, no matter what kind of ratchetness, ratchetness you see me out in the streets doing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good. That ratchetness ain't going to keep me out. It's not going to keep me from seeing glory. I'll tell you that on today. But uh, <laughs> I'm not going to give a mini sermon. But, um, uh, but yeah, he's also the glory in my story. Um, my relationship with Jesus um, is wrapped up in everything I speak. Like I said, from the uttermost to the guttermost in, in what I say, um, the end the end, in the middle it is, it, and the beginning is going to be wrapped up in some Jesus in my relationship with him. So, yeah, that's real talk. The good, the bad, and the ugly. That's it. Yeah. Uh, so, but I uh, thank you for your time. You are really welcome. Thank you so much for the consideration. Oh, no problem. Uh-huh. No, I just, um, it's nice to see you all and anybody in general. And, but it's, we actually get a close encounter and like, man, I, I would like to piece, mm. see the bit different pieces that make up who they are and give context to what they're doing because everybody has a question mark when they see you. Mm. And they're like, how? when yeah where and that's that's what i wanted to capture with not just you but anybody it's not yeah. 
because that, that creates who you are now. It's because of those things yeah. that you are where you are and who you are and where you're going. Who going to flip the script on you and, 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 and let you tell the glory of your story? Uh-huh. I've listened to some of the podcasts and I hear bits and pieces as I've heard in this podcast, mm-hmm. different things as far as your development and your story and all of that. Um, and it's a blessing. I, I, like I hear the other people's story, but I hear some of your story in the midst and I'm just <laughs> like, I'm getting a double dose. It's like I'm getting, you know, I'm getting somebody different every time, but it's also I'm getting getting some of the same person every time and I'm yeah. getting little pieces wrapped up in everybody else's story they can really he can relate to a little bit of something that yeah. everybody's doing and I'm getting a story a longer story you know than what yeah. I'm getting for each individual person individual person and it's a beautiful thing I'm grateful for you in this podcast this is a blessing in itself oh, thank um, you. yes definitely thank you man y'all tell you, when I was sitting man when <laughs> when sleepy eyes was speaking and I tell people this all the time I was going like this naturally because it's all like the energy that he was giving mm, was so massive. Rare. And I was like, man. <laughs> and I wish I had this mic when I recorded Ooh. him because it he had so, but even so, it hit, he, what he was saying was so rich and had so mm. much volume. And that was one of the most anticipated um, interviews I had mm. because he, um, Very. yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah, with itself. <laughs> Man, but uh, thanks again. Um, for those of you all listening, this is uh, episode 33 of The Glory in Our Stories with uh, Vanessa, Har- Vanessa Harris, a.k.a. Uh, Most Elevated Deepness. Mm-hmm.